calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. A very special thank you to our sponsor, Best Thriller Books, your best source for book reviews and giveaways for the thrillers that need to be on the top of your to-be-read file. From first-time authors to perennial bestsellers, Best Thriller Books covers thrillers better than anyone else. So if you're looking for your next big thrill, be sure to visit them at bestthrillerbooks.com. And be sure to enter promo code T-Man for your chance to win a free hug from Todd Wilkins. That last part is a joke. <laughs> Don't hold him to it. He's a big guy. He'll hurt me. Anyway, uh, my guest today is Brian Freeman. He is a best-selling New York Times author of psychological thrillers that have been sold in 46 countries and 22 languages. His novel, Spill Blood, won the International Thriller Award for Best Hardcover Novel, and The Burying Place was a finalist for the same award. His novel, The Deep, Deep Snow, was a finalist for an Edgar. He has lived in Minnesota for more than 35 years, where he lives with his wife, Marcia. His latest novel, The Zero Night, is on sale wherever books are sold from Blackstone Publishing. Brian, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. Uh, we're, we're certainly looking forward to this one. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your latest novel. Yeah, The Zero Night is the 11th novel in my Jonathan Stride series set up in Duluth, Minnesota. And uh, uh, it's, uh, I, it's always uh, fun and a bit of a challenge when you're working on, you know, a long running series like that, because I really think that you need to be able to you know, welcome new readers to the series with each new book. So you've got to strike that balance of uh, finding just the right amount of character development uh, so that new readers get a full rich enjoyment experience of the characters. But old readers that have been with you all the time don't say, yeah, yeah, move it along. We, we, we know all that. And right. part of it, part of the way I approach that is by I, I think through where the characters are uh, in their lives. And then I actually build the mystery around the characters. And so with uh, the Zero Night, uh, there were a couple things going on. Uh, uh, in the previous book, uh, Funeral for a Friend, uh, Jonathan Stride uh, had, had suffered a fairly severe injury uh, toward the end of the book. And so I knew that he was going to be dealing with that and he'd been off on medical leave and, and was going to be kind of struggling with, could he sort of re-enter the darkness uh, of his life? Um, and the other thing was, uh, as I thought about Stride's wife, Serena, who is also a detective, uh, uh, she uh, came out of an abusive childhood. She hadn't dealt, uh, hadn't seen her mother in years and years. And I, I was thinking about that relationship and thinking that whenever Serena's mother died, uh, it was going to throw her for a loop and it was going to really force her to deal with a lot of things that, that she hadn't dealt with in her life. So I kind of started building the mystery around that and, and Serena uh, Serena is an alcoholic, and, uh, and, and when her mother passes away in the Zero Night, it, it, it kind of sends her off the rails. And uh, as, as she's dealing with this mystery, she also has to deal with uh, whether she can kind of uh, stay on the wagon and, and kind of keep counting all the nights that she stayed sober or whether she's going to face 
what she's feared for years, which is the zero night where she finally gives in and drinks again. So that's kind of the, the personal story behind it. And the mystery itself uh, deals with a, uh, a, a kind of a kind of a sleazy lawyer. I, I love sleazy lawyers. Uh, and uh, he, <laughs> who does uh, it in fiction? Yeah. <laughs> His his not wife, in real life, but of course not, of course not. <laughs> uh, so his his wife has been kidnapped, and uh, and and Stride and and Serena uh, uh, have to decide whether uh, whether he wants his wife back, but does he want her back dead or alive? And uh, um, one of the things I that I love about the Zero Night um, when I when I'm looking at a at a mystery, the the thing that I I always enjoy is when an author um, can can throw out this cloud of confusion. There's all these different threads going on, and yet. Uh, when you get to the end of the book, there's just this elegant simplicity to what was really going on. You know, I look at um, I look at a book like Michael Connolly's Bloodwork, uh, one of my favorite mm -hmm. books of all time, and uh, uh, it's got exactly that quality that there's just so much complexity going on, and yet you get to the end of the resolution of the mystery and you understand, oh, of course, I should have seen that coming all along, and uh, uh, that's what I that's what I love about the Zero Night. I, I feel like it, it's it's this horribly insidious murder conspiracy. And, and yet I think when you, you finally get to the end and hopefully the end uh, is, is a shocking surprise, uh, a reader says, oh, but it's so simple. I, I should have seen this coming all along. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that sounds like you've been doing that for 11 books. That's an incredibly long time for a series to go on. And congratulations for having that kind of success with a character. How did you come up with the main character, Jonathan Stride, and how has he grown over the years since? Yeah, that's that that's a great that's a great question. You know, I mean, I, my first five novels were all Stride novels, uh, and and since then I've I've gone in a lot of different directions. I've um, I've done a number of standalone books. I've got a couple other series out there. I've taken over Robert Ludlum's Jason Bourne series, which has been a lot of fun uh, over the past wow. few years. Um, but you know, I, I I keep coming back to Stride, and uh, uh, what I what I enjoy about Stride is he keeps growing as a character. I mean, when I was working on. The Zero Night, um, it, it, I was actually listening to the audio version of my very first novel, Immoral, at the same time. And it was it was fun to see how Stride had evolved over all those years, uh, because he's a very different man, a very different hero in The Zero Night than he was back in Immoral. Um, and that's because of all the things that have happened to him along the way. And he's changed and evolved. And and uh, and God knows I've changed and evolved and, and, and gotten older as well. Uh, it, in fact, Stride has pulled up a rather neat trick over the years. So when, when I started the Stride series, um, uh, Stride was quite a bit older than I was. And, uh, and yet here we are 20 <laughs> years later, and now I'm quite a bit older than Stride. So that's a, uh, I, I wish I knew how he did that. So um, it's but, funny uh, how they catch up, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So but Stride is Stride's kind of this classic northern Minnesota hero. He's he's known a lot of loss in his life. Uh, he he's living in a very bitter climate. It, Duluth is one of those places where it's it's large enough that you can imagine some dark things happening there, and and yet small enough that you're always sort of bumping into your past around every corner. And and that's true of of Stride as well. So the people he's dealing with all kind of seem to have threads connected to to him and his past. And uh, uh, he's one of those he's one of those um, you know Minnesotans that uh, he he doesn't he doesn't kind of stop in the face of adversity he just sort of tucks his chin against that bitter wind and and keeps moving on exactly right exactly right it sounds like that you really found the voice for that kind of a character what are the supporting characters like for those who haven't been following your books from the beginning how could you uh, what would you say would be the uh, main feature of them for people who haven't read your stuff 
Yeah, you know, I, that's one of the the, 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 the the nice advantages of a long running series is is I don't feel like I have to make stride the, the centerpiece of every book. I can kind of let some of the supporting characters have larger roles uh, in the different novels. Uh, so in, in and that's kind of one of the things I'm always looking at as I think about the characters is who have I not sort of dealt with in detail in a while and I want to bring that character forward. And that was through mm -hmm. a stride's wife, Serena. Uh, Serena is has always been a really interesting character to me. She um, She's introduced late in the first novel, Immoral, and ends up playing a very significant role in, in Stride's life. Uh, Stride and Serena have always had sort of a, a, a difficult up and down relationship because they both are closed off people. They both tend to keep a lot of secrets. Stride about the loss of his first wife to cancer, Serena about that abuse in her childhood. Um, and and Serena is someone who, who comes, from, uh, comes from Las Vegas is kind of a um, a fish out of water in 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 the the the, the bitter climate of, of Duluth and and in this environment that tends to be sort of a closed circle, um, and yet she she finds herself kind of adapting to those ways and um, uh, kind of struggling with with you know who she is and uh, and um, uh, so she's been a very interesting character to write. Maggie Bay is the other detective in the mix. Um, she's a, a, a this little Spitfire Chinese cop and. Um, She's Stride's partner. She's always had kind of a, a, uh, a, a, a relationship with Stride that kind of goes up to the edge of, of, uh, of, of a sexual tension between them. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, when, I, when I was first writing Immoral, the very first Stride novel, uh, I didn't actually have Maggie in the outline for the book. But as I wrote Stride, who's this very sort of intense uh, uh, character, I knew he needed someone that could kind of poke him in the side and, and cut him down to size a bit. And uh, I loved right. the idea of this, this little Chinese cop bossing around these big Swedish Duluth uh, detectives. And so I created Maggie as a character. And she just, as soon as she came onto the page, she sort of demanded a larger role. And, and she's had a significant role uh, in the book ever since. Um, and then in, uh, in the cold nowhere, about halfway through the, the series to date, uh, I introduced a, a, a teenager named Kat Mateo who ends up um, living with, uh, with Stride and Serena. And uh, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed building out the character of Kat. She starts out as a very sort of lost, irresponsible teenager. And, and she, God knows she's caused a lot of problems for herself and Stride and Serena in the last few books. But I, I've loved watching her sort of mature in the course of, of the series. And uh, um, at this point, you know, she's kind of helping Serena uh, in this novel, uh, sort of in a way paying back all the help that Serena's provided her in the previous books. Right. It's funny how the characters do take on a life of their own while we're writing them. I've had some people who don't read a lot and, and don't uh, necessarily, and aren't writers, they'll say, well, these people are all in your mind. Don't you know what they're doing? You make them do what you want. And it's not really like that, is it? It really isn't. No, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. I mean, Writers, writers get that because they 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 live it, they experience it. The way these characters become, you know, alive and three dimensional, and the way they kind of guide you in their stories. But yeah, it, that's a tough one for you know for people who who don't do it to understand. And I think they kind of look at you like you're a little nuts when you talk about the the, the characters guiding you rather than you telling the characters what to do. <laughs> right, right. It, it's it's a fascinating process to me, and I'm, I'm a lot of books into my career now, and I'm like, yep. it's it still doesn't. It, I still don't understand it, but I love the journey in every single yeah. book story. 
Exactly. And it's it's interesting the extent to which the characters always have secrets and depths that that you don't see coming. I mean, if if I'm if I'm reaching a point where I, I need something, you know, the, uh, uh, the story to go in a somewhat different direction, invariably I'll look back on where the character has been throughout the last couple of books and there's something in there uh, that just naturally gets to pull out and become a part of that that sequence. And again, it's like the, the characters know these things before we actually pick up on them. Right, right. And uh, to further that point, I, I was just finishing up a manuscript yesterday, the first draft of one, and a new character popped up that had been in the background that I saw in my mind's eye, but it wasn't until the second to last scene, literally, that I figured, wow, this is going to be a good time to introduce him. Now I'm going to go back and layer him in. And it's it's just funny how you can never count out when a new character is going to pop up at any point in an active work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in my in my fifth stride novel, which was the Burying Place, um, uh, pretty early on in the book, in the in the first third of the book, um, something pretty shocking happens in that triangle of Stride and Serena and Maggie. And as I was as as it was kind of evolving on the page, again, it wasn't in my outline. I I, I kind of stopped and said is this really what's happening? Um, and and am, I, am, am I right about what's going on here with the characters? And at the time that I was going through this, um, I got the proofs back for my, pre, uh, my preceding Stride novel, In the Dark. And so I was rereading In the Dark, and I got to a sequence where Stride and Serena are alone in, in, in his, the attic of his cottage, and he's looking through old boxes of photographs and things from his first wife, Cindy. And suddenly I realized that everything that was going on in the burying place had been telegraphed between the characters in that scene in In the Dark. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what was going to happen to them in the next book at that point. And yet all of the, the fractures in their relationship that were about to burst wide open were right there in that scene. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it naturally evolves. It, it, it's a fascinating process. And I think that's what keeps us interested in coming back and continuing to write. Um, you just mentioned that uh, you had made an outline for your book. Do you usually make detailed outlines for reaching your books before you start? Or is it a loose outline or not at yeah, all? Yeah, it's, it's kind of evolved over the years. I mean, in the, in the early years, uh, in my first few books, I, I tended to deal with, you know, pretty detailed outlines and I'd write very detailed background sketches on the characters before I started. And um, I've gone away from that over the years. Um, uh, I, I think it was a useful, um, a, a useful crutch when I was kind of getting started in my career and, and it, it kind of helped me sort of prevent that neurosis of, oh my God, I've, I've actually got a contract and a deadline. Am I going to be able to get this thing done? Uh, right. But the more the more books I write, the more I, I prefer to have a much looser outline. It's kind of a roadmap of, of where I'm going with some key, uh, you know, uh, uh, rest stops along the way. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, because as soon as I start the book, the outline kind of goes out the window and I have to start reworking where the, the, the story is going. It tends not to be the backstory that changes. I tend to know who did what to whom and why, but how right. I tell the story changes a lot as I start to actually see the characters on the page. And, and frankly, you, you have the, you know, you, you can sort of feel organically how the suspense and the drama are unfolding. And so I like to be able to massage that and work with that as I'm actually writing the book. Right, right, exactly. Now, when you've got an 11 book series, people obviously love the character, they're invested in the story. How has audience feedback shaped what happens in the series and these characters? Has it shaped it at all or have you pretty much stayed true to what you envisioned at the first book? Yeah, you know, I, I don't, 
I mean, I, I always am interested in in reader feedback, and um, uh, and and I, I I'm certainly kind of thinking about that as I as I think about the plots. I don't know that it really um, necessarily affects where I'm going with the stories. Uh, certainly, when I wrote the Burying Place, I I knew that what Stride did in the Burying Place was going to piss off a lot of people, and I was not wrong about that. Um, <laughs> I, I I I had a lot of I had a lot of angry readers after that, and and what I usually tell them is. Look, when you're talking about a long-running series, you, you, you can't think of, of, you know, each book on its own terms. You have to see a, a book as kind of one long chapter in a much longer novel. And so right. what's going on with the characters in that particular book is not the end of the road. I mean, it, it's going to, you know, it's going to change and evolve as those characters continue to grow. The one thing right. that I think I, I pay attention to um, and that I, I try to live by in in writing the series, well, a couple things, really. One is that um, I, I really don't want to kill off a lead character. Um, right. and, and I get why writers do that from time to time, because it, it injects a sort of an element of energy into, into a long running series. But I, I hear from readers who read other series where you know a, a main character dies. And, and what I feel bad about is the extent to which that event colors their enjoyment of the series. They can't mm -hmm. go back and reread the novels because it's always with that shadow of what's going to happen to that character. And I think that's true of, right. of television series as well. And so I, I've always kind of promised readers, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to kill off, you know, uh, a main character. I may put them through hell, uh, but, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to kill them off because I want the reader to, to always be able to go back and reread the whole series. The other thing I try to do is whenever a new stride novel comes out, I invariably get um, uh, readers writing to me to say, oh, my God, you know, I read the ending of the book. Is this the end of the series? Um, right. And, and I say, you know, Look, I hope not. I mean, my plan is to write more stride novels. I, I, I hope to be doing that for, for years to come. But I try to end every stride novel with a degree of emotional closure um, mm -hmm. because it's, you know, it, it's the hit by a bus factor. I mean, my plan is to be able to, to, to write more stride novels, but, you know, life is uncertain and you don't know what tomorrow brings. So I, I would like to I would like to be able to give readers this feeling that if for some reason life intervenes and I can't write another stride novel, they've got a complete creative product and they can get to the end and feel like I've kind of closed the door in a way that makes the entire series feel satisfying, even though I want to add to that series as I go forward. Sure, sure. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah, because you can't end every book like uh, one of the old serials with a cliffhanger every single time. Yes, admittedly, also... I, I did that in in in, in one series uh, almost inadvertently because my plan had been to go on and immediately write a fourth book. It was my Frost Easton series, and and I immediately was going to go on and write a fourth book to deal with the the very cruel and and evil cliffhanger I put at the end of that book. And then my publisher turned around and said, "Well, you know, we've been having such success with standalones. Would you write a few standalones for us?" It's like, okay, well, you're going to have to answer to the readers when they they write to me and say, "Where's the next Frost Easton novel?" So, right, <laughs> right, it, yeah, it, it is funny how that that works out sometimes and also you know when when you're writing a series the way you have it's there's a difference between like a George R. R. Martin novel where you have to really it helps if you've read the other books to know what's happening there but with you you're saying that they're all connected in some way but you don't have to necessarily start from book one all the way through book right. 11 right 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 and you know I think there's also a difference in 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 what a cliffhanger is I mean my feeling is 
there are there are always going to be threads that can be open that you can you know pull on and deal with in a future book and and it's it's certainly not like you want to have you know everything tied up with a neat bow because you know that's not the way books are that's not the way life is so my feeling is you know, you want to be able to resolve the mystery you want people to have a sense of of you know what actually happened but there may be elements of of the mystery that um, are, are left open or, or are left sort of, um, you know, un, unsure that you can then deal with in, in a future book. And I don't think that there's any kind of problem with that. I, I do right. I, I do get frustrated if authors, um, you know, not that we'd be referencing George R. R. Martin, but if, <laughs> if we have authors that simply end the book and it's like nothing has been resolved. I mean, I read a, right. I listened to a YA novel um, not that long ago and it, it literally ended with to be continued. And I'm like, seriously come on you just you can't yeah do <laughs> yeah even though there are probably been times i know in my career i'm sure yours where you really wanted to do that so you can ensure that next book it's not fair to the reader at that right. point it's exactly. you're inserting yourself into the story more than you already should be right yeah it's it's uh that's kind of silly if you had um i know a lot of times when when people talk to writers they ask them about their literary influences but you write a lot of psychologically based thrillers and also you're writing part of the Bourne series as well. I'd be, as a big movie fan myself, I'd be interested to know if there were any movies that affected your love of that kind of psychological thriller that you write so well. Oh yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, honestly, um, you know, one of my, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is, uh, is Vertigo and uh, the, uh, you know the, the 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 psychological complexity of of that film and the just the the brilliant way uh, that 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 Hitchcock um, was able to take what seemingly is an impossible scenario and and create a a completely plausible conclusion at the end of the movie, uh, just terrific. Uh, and of course, then also the way he used San Francisco as you know a a a, a really a character in the movie i mean it it just he pulled out such drama from San Francisco that definitely influenced me a lot i mean i i love that kind of approach to getting inside the heads of the characters and and never really knowing whether you can trust what what's going on with those characters exactly right exactly right because when i've written thrillers one of my biggest influences was the movie 3 days of the condor oh yeah and, great, uh, great movie great movie yeah Talk about how you get how a city is another character in the movie, but also the the density of the plot and just being able to peel back the onion with every single scene. It's a dense yeah. but rewarding effort on behalf of, on the part of the viewer, and that's yeah. that's good stuff when it works. It it, it is, and it, and it's a reminder of of how kind of set piece scenes uh, are so important in in not just movies but in books how they're so memorable for people. I mean, I haven't seen Three Days of the Condor in years and years and years, but I can still remember him coming back into the office after going out and finding everybody dead. And I mean, just such a brilliant, shocking scene. So yeah, 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 it really was. And speaking of, of movies, the Bourne uh, movies really have been credited with changing the spy genre and making the even the James Bond franchise up its game in terms of characters, action, believability. Mission Impossible 2 could probably, uh, they, they definitely took a turn after the Jason Bourne books started yeah. being made into films. Um, how has it been for you to take on the mantle of an established and beloved uh, character like the uh, Bourne series? Uh, 
Yeah, that that has been it's been one of the most interesting challenges of my career and, and also some of the, the most fun that I've had writing books. I mean, they're just thoroughly fun books to write. But yeah, God, it was intimidating. I mean, you know, my first reaction when when I when I uh, got the got the gig to do the Bourne novels was, you know, oh, my God, you know, and the, the next reaction is like, oh, my God. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you know, you think about trying to step into the, the shoes of, you know, an iconic hero like Bourne and, you know, a giant of the genre like Ludlam, and then you add the, uh, you know, the movie franchise on top of that and, and how incredibly popular uh, the movies were. Um, you, you've got a lot of different audiences that you're trying to, to keep happy there. Um, and, you know, for me, when I thought about it, and I, I talked to Tom Colgan at Putnam about this, um, I, I, what I really wanted to do uh, was, was go back to Ludlum's original vision of the character and and bring that Jason Bourne to life in my books, but drop him down into an all new setting with all new characters and plots, modern plots surrounding him. Um, because, uh, you know, the first Bourne novel came out more than 40 years ago. It came out in, right. in 1980 and, and had its roots in, in Vietnam and Watergate. You, you clearly can't have that kind of backstory still working in, you know, 2020, uh, which was when the Bourne Evolution came out. Um, so, uh, and yet I wanted to be able to recapture the, the elements of psychological complexity that made Bourne such an iconic character. And that's really what I was trying to do. Um, the movies present kind of an interesting challenge because the movies are terrific. I mean, they're just great, mm -hmm. great action films. Matt Damon does an amazing job. Um, although it's amazing when you when you watch, I think it was the the the, the Born Ultimatum. I, I I will sometimes go back and watch that and marvel at how little dialogue Matt Damon actually has uh, in that movie. I mean, <laughs> if, yeah. if, if he even has five pages of of you know copy in the whole movie, I think that's that's generous. So, um, uh, but the the Born that you find in the the movies and the plot that that surrounds him has very little to do with with Ludlum's original character and, and yep. you know, Ludlum's plot. I mean, the, the, the Bourne Identity plot had some correlation with the original plot of the Bourne Identity, but the other movies really were, were just completely different. And mm -hmm. Treadstone is completely different, too. I mean, Treadstone is is and the relationship with Bourne, all this stuff about, you know, programming killers and everything. None of that really in the in the Ludlum franchise. That was something that the movies came up with. Um, so, um, you know, it, and so you're, you're you're doing a balancing act there. Um, you know, uh, uh, Putnam had, you know, Josh Hood doing the Treadstone books. And I think Josh, you know, quite appropriately was building off of what the movies had done with Treadstone. I was right. trying to do something different that was more what Ludlum had done in his books. So again, it's that that balancing act. And so uh, I wanted to write a book that was that was very Ludlum-esque. Um, uh, but, you know, if, if movie fans want to picture Matt Damon in their heads when they're reading the books, that's okay, too. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. As long as they buy it and as long as they enjoy it. Um, exactly. You know, that's the, that's the main thing. I mean, it, it, and, and now, how long do you envision that Bourne series that you've been writing uh, going on? You know, I haven't I haven't really decided that. I, I just turned in the uh, the fourth born novel before Christmas. That'll be coming out in July. Um, uh, I, I know we're already we're already on board to do a fifth book, and so I've already got the plot put together for that one. Um, and you know, I think it's kind of a question of of um, you know where does Putnam want to go? Where does the estate want to go with this? Uh, I I thoroughly enjoy writing the the born novels, and uh, it's so it's a lot of fun for me. Uh, and uh, so uh, you know my plan is is to you know to to, to keep doing this for a while, and uh, I, I I hope to have the opportunity to do so. So 
Yeah, yeah, and Tom is great to work with. I worked with him on yeah. some of the Ralph Compton westerns that I did for Putnam, and um, he's he's fantastic. He's always yeah. ready with ideas. If you get stuck with something, he's very uh, supportive. He's he's a great partner in in the process. Yeah, and he he does such a great job of matching uh, authors on these legacy series, you know, and finding just the right author to be able to kind of keep a particular franchise energized. I think that's great. So yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's. And that's why they're still popular after all of these years. You know, right. it's uh, it takes people behind the scenes to pick the right talent for it. Um, I know that you've got your Jonathan Stride series. Do you what do you envision being the next uh, steps in that series as well? Yeah, you know, I I, I try not to think too far ahead on the Stride series uh, because uh, again, every every plot sort of depends on on where the characters are in their lives, and 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 that depends on what happens to them in the preceding books. So, um, so right. you know, people will always be asking, well, do you know how the Stride series will ultimately end? I don't have a clue because uh, you know right. that, uh, it it is a one by one process. I would expect that. Um, uh, I would expect I'll probably end up working on another Stride novel next year, and and there are some threads uh, in the Zero Night that I think would be interesting to uh, to explore in another book. There was a just a, a great character uh, nicknamed Broadway in the Zero Night, and uh, and and he just cries out to have a little bit more attention uh, in an upcoming book. So I, I could see going back and doing a little more with that character. Um, right now, I'm working actually on a, a standalone novel for Blackstone. Um, so that's, okay. that's my, my current project. And, uh, uh, that one's, that one's going to be a lot of fun because the, the hero of that one is, uh, it, it's sort of a cross between Jason Bourne and Jonathan Stride. So it'll be, I'm trying to take some of the, the strength of, of both of those heroes and, and create a whole new, uh, a whole new approach. So it'll, it'll be a lot of fun to do. Wow, and a standalone too. That's fantastic. That's uh, it. Sounds like you're always looking for a way to challenge yourself creatively, yes. so you yeah. don't get into a rut. Yeah, exactly. That's that's one of the things I, I love about my career over the past few years is I've really been able to to do such different storylines and different characters. I mean, I've got my my Stride series, kind of these gritty, intense police procedurals. You've got the Bourne novels, which are very action and adrenaline oriented, uh, and then I've got a number of standalones that are almost kind of Michael Crichton-esque, uh, I Remember You, Infinite, Thief River Falls, um, sort of out there kinds of plots. Um, so for me, I, I, I never know what I'm going to do next. And uh, uh, that's that's part of what keeps me excited about it. And uh, I hope readers come along for the ride. Yeah, and it sounds like they've done well by sticking with you so far. Um, is there, just from a writer's perspective, is there a genre that you haven't tackled yet that you would love to be able to, um, if you if you got a free book, say, hey, you know what, try this genre. Is there one that you would uh, like to give a try? Yeah, you know that I I, I love doing I love doing different things. Uh, uh, almost more than ten years ago at this point, I, I worked my my agent was in London at that point, and I, I actually worked with her on. Uh, 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 on a book that was was practically a, sort of a rom-com chiclet kind of a, a novel uh, that we released under a pseudonym, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. we had a great run with with the agency. That was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, I, I I could see myself doing historical fiction. Uh, I could see myself, you know, tackling a YA novel. Um, I could see myself doing you know nonfiction at some point, uh, doing either you know a, a true crime book or uh, or even you know working with someone on a uh, you know a memoir or uh, or other sort of nonfiction works so uh, um you know i i enjoy putting stories together so uh, having different kinds of opportunities like that that that's what keeps me charged that's fantastic and what about uh your social media presence do you engage regularly with readers on your social media and uh, on your website as well how does that process work for you 
Yeah, I do. That's that that's uh, that's one of the real fun parts of this business is having the chance to to interact directly with readers and and you know we've had a chance to do that directly in a way that you know didn't exist in the old days. I mean, you know, when I started right. in, the, in the started in the business, uh, you know, there there just wasn't the opportunity unless you were doing an event. There really wasn't that much way to to connect with people uh, personally. Um, so right. yeah, I, I love it now when people you know, write to me via the website or, or head off and find me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And uh, it's particularly fun with, with books uh, in translation. I mean, it, it's just such a, an amazing feeling. You go out on, on Instagram and I, I you know, I, I search to kind of see if anyone's posting about my books and I'll, I'll see someone in, you know, Turkey or in the Czech Republic, uh, you know, posting a, a picture of one of my books there. And it's like, oh, that is just so cool. So I know, I know. I can imagine it is because yeah, you've been published in 46 countries and 22 languages. That's quite an accomplishment. It really, you know, it, it has been, it has been so much fun. And it's, you know, I think the, the thing about translation sales is it really, it really shrinks the world. I mean, because when I hear from readers in, you know, Taiwan or, you know, the Czech Republic or Italy or wherever, uh, it, it, they're, they're, they're responding to the same kinds of things in the books. And, and it's, right. the, it's the same sorts of, you know, personal issues and character issues that, that, uh, that that trigger with them, and uh, it 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 just kind of makes the it it reminds you of the commonality of people, no matter where they are, and uh, so that that's a great feeling. Yeah, it really is. I can imagine it is because that's uh, that's uh, it's amazing to get all those different types of feedback from people from different cultures and different countries than ours. We just spoke about your um, website and online presence. What's the best way people can find you to keep up with all of the great work that you're doing? Yeah, yeah, they can uh, they can go out to my website, which is bfreemanbooks.com. That's all one word, bfreemanbooks.com. Uh, they can sign up for my mailing list there. They can get information about uh, all the books. They can get links to, to order them if they want. Uh, and then they can find me out on social media, uh, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at bfreemanbooks. Uh, and over on Facebook, uh, my page is uh, facebook.com slash bfreemanfans. So uh, uh, any, anywhere they look, they'll find me. And I, as I say, I love having people, you know, post to me and send me notes about the books. I always respond personally. And uh, I, I love getting feedback from readers with each new book. Especially reviews, right? Because they're very important. To they're very writers, important. To yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially on all of our stuff. Well, Brian, I thank you so much for being here today with us on yet another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, everybody. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. <laughs>